0: What about his first name, Michael—kind of stupid shit name. That's oh, it? your middle name, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Welcome to the Four Corners Crimecast. My name is Jake. My name is Rory.
1: And I'm your host, Katie, and today we are talking about Michael Black.
0: And uh, where's this one from, Katie?
1: Grand Junction, Colorado.
0: And uh, where'd you do your research this week?
1: The book was *Killer Dad* by Robert Scott.
0: That sounds like the start to a uh, workout video. Killer dad bod. Dun, dun, dun. I don't think that'd be a workout video. It'd be like a drink beer and eat donuts (laughs) video. Sit on the couch and eat little Caesars. There you go. And uh, why don't you go ahead and start us off, kitty?
1: At 4.20 p.m. on November thirteenth, two 2001, the Mesa County 911 Center received a call from distraught Michael Blagg. He had just come home from work and found his wife Jennifer and six-year-old daughter Abby missing. In the master bedroom, a large pool of blood was running from the bed onto the floor and belongings were thrown around the room. His wife's purse had been dumped onto the floor, her jewelry boxes thrown onto the ground, and according to Michael, her pillows were gone. He'd known something was wrong when he walked through the front door and could see his back door was cracked open. The 911 operator had him leave the house to wait for police and began asking questions. When she asked what he'd seen in his daughter's room, Mike said he had not gone in there and had to go check. There was no blood, but her fan was on, and her clothes were still on the bed as if she hadn't gotten dressed for school.
0: So when your wife is missing in a pool of blood, you don't go check your daughter.
1: Yeah, that's what people had questions about, because it seemed strange that he was just like, okay, I'll leave the house.
0: But he checked on the pillows. Yeah, the pillows are missing. So he just called and said that his wife and daughter were missing without even actually looking for his daughter at all.
1: Pretty much. I mean, he pretty much called and he said, I just walked in, my back door is open, there's a ton of blood on my bed, and I don't see my wife or my daughter anywhere. Because I guess Abby's routine was as soon as he'd walk through the door, he would say, I'm home, and she would come running up to him. And obviously when he walked in and said, I'm home, and no one came up. I think he assumed that she wasn't there or he knew she wasn't there.
0: Okay. Assumed because he knew.
1: Yeah. It depends on, I guess, who you are looking at this case. Nothing else in the home was touched besides the items in the master bedroom. When police arrived, they noticed a small pool of water by the front door and that the blood on the bed seemed to be mixed with another liquid like someone had attempted to clean it up, but the task was too much.
0: Was there more than one person's blood at the scene?
1: No, it was just Jennifer's.
0: Okay. They think someone went and tried to clean the big pool of blood up.
1: It's Yeah, it seemed that way. Or they, like, put something on it, and then they were like, that's not going to work. And they kind of just walked away. Oh, you
0: have to cut the carpet out.
1: So, like, imagine that your mattress is, like, so basically soaked full of blood that oh, it kind mattress. of all pooled, and then it started running off the side. And so, I mean, there were sheets down, but it was just so much that it hadn't soaked. It had coagulated before it soaked fully into the mattress. Do you
0: remember Gross. the guy a couple stories back who went and bought the new, bought mm-hmm. the new mattress right before he called the cops?
1: Yeah. That's Don't do that. That's what reminds
0: me of. Don't do either of these things. Don't leave a whole puddle of blood because that means you probably murdered someone.
1: Jennifer's car, a minivan, was still parked in the garage, but there was blood splatter inside and outside of it. When a tracking canine was brought in, it was unable to follow Jennifer or Abby's scent any farther than the minivan. This meant that either dead or alive, they had been driven away from the home in that car.
0: Was there blood between the bedroom and the car? No. So it Someone's, was just in the bedroom and then some in the car.
1: They were very clean when carrying the body. There were two sets of keys to the van, one in Jennifer's purse, and one on Michael's key ring. Things looked suspicious from the beginning. The scene appeared to be staged rather than an actual robbery, and the minivan had been driven back to the garage by whoever used it to take Jennifer and Abby from the house. Despite this, detectives held out hope they were working on a missing persons case rather than a homicide.
0: It kind of does seem like this is a big point at the husband because don't they already use the husband as the prime suspect anyway
1: basically yeah. And most... the car is
0: back at the scene yeah and PC. there's two
1: sets of keys one at the scene and one with him
0: yeah the car's not hot wired there's no zanny the nanny unless it was a murder or kidnap robbery gone wrong where they kidnap or audit carjacking kidnapping robbery so they carjacked them, saw they liked their car, had them drive back to their house where they could rob the house, and then leave. But instead they murdered. But instead they murdered to leave no witnesses. Ran away on foot? No. Had a car following Ah. them.
1: At this point, they assumed that if Jennifer was dead, she had never gotten out of bed in the morning. Okay. So she was basically murdered before she had even woken up, and so she was either severely injured and carried out of the house, or dead and carried out of the house but she was not out and about like in the car where she could have been carjacked
0: and she had to be unconscious because otherwise she, there would have been signs of blood and stuff because you have to be like yeah if not she, fighting like if she got up and wandered around so or if they were carrying her and she was kicking and mm-hmm. screaming
1: mike was taken to the police station for an interview as soon as police arrived at the home from what he told them they had a perfect marriage. The two had met when Jennifer moved from Stillwater, Oklahoma to San Diego, California to be closer to her mother and attend college.
0: Does Is it just me or does like Stillwater, Oklahoma sound like a place nobody leaves?
1: It sounds like a place that was specifically made strictly for Oklahoma. Like you can never use this name anywhere else but this city in Oklahoma.
0: It's <laughs> Or you get sued? Yeah. You can only use this place as a where you're from. Where yeah. are you from From in Oklahoma? Oh, Stillwater down Stillwater wave. You know, where the fishing's good. Yeah. No moving water there. Just Stank Lake.
1: Michael, who was in the Navy, had recently returned from a tour in Operation Desert Storm and was stationed in California. He and Jennifer met through mutual friends and had their first date July 4th, 1988.
0: Independence Day.
1: They dated for three years before deciding to get married on November 16th, 1991. They moved around a bit before Mike decided he wanted to leave the Navy. He had one more tour to attend, which he left for right after they found out Jennifer was pregnant with Abby in 1995. When he returned, she was six and a half months pregnant. Mike had a degree in nuclear engineering, and he was able to find a job in Phoenix, Arizona at Allied Signal, which manufactured jet engines. Their marriage had a rough patch during this time, as Mike was a heavy drinker.
0: Because engineers are always a pain in the ass
1: supposedly they discussed separation but before that could occur mike got another job offer in south carolina it was there that he began attending church with jennifer who was a christian he was able to get his drinking under control and their relationship strengthened with his newfound love for christ
0: i'm gonna go ahead and say this that murderers often find the love of christ before they kill someone right
1: it's usually after
0: i think it's both i think it's usually after okay
1: usually in prison because
0: well he just got it out of the way beforehand Once you find Christ, he's all the family you need, so he ran out of room for the rest of them. You have to make the room for Christ. That's Mm -hmm. what they tell you when you are in Bible school.
1: I thought that was only at dances. You had to leave room for Jesus. Oh, no, that's that too. It was in South Carolina that Jennifer began keeping a journal. She wrote, every day is her own communication with God.
0: Any available reading of that journal or diary?
1: No, I think it's in police custody.
0: Okay, and plus only God has permission to read it, so... I mean, I, I would honestly think that someone's personal communications to God would be a super interesting thing to read. Like, if you just found some murdered person's diary and it was their personal communication to God, I would want to read it. Yeah, There
1: was uh, excerpts in this book from it, but it was not.
0: Interesting. Nothing exciting. It was Nothing just exciting.
1: like, hey, God, why am I struggling? I'm having trouble finding my faith in you, and I don't know why.
0: Ah, oh, that's just Bible sad. quote. Like, Plus, I wouldn't want... So I would never write that shit down because I wouldn't want some asshole like Rory wanting to read it. I'm going to write, start writing everything down. All of the weird thoughts that pop into my head and stuff, I'm just going to write them down. And then one day when I'm dead... We're going to have so much to explain. You guys can read it and just be like, so this is what happened We're in gonna Rory's We're going to know most of it probably. The time. And other people are what you should be concerned about, not us. See, I don't even tell you about the other most of the weird stuff that I think about when I'm like... That doesn't mean that it won't su- not surprise us. I mean, yeah, I guess... It's not really that surprising.
1: Yeah, I feel like your intrusive thoughts are probably pretty similar to other people's.
0: I would hope so. (laughs) If not, get out the checklist.
1: Not long after Abby's birth, Jennifer began having serious health problems that interrupted her ability to be a mother. She constantly had stomach problems and felt ill almost every day. She had already had a rough pregnancy and birth, was most likely suffering from postpartum, and now was constantly sick.
0: Are we thinking poison here? No. Okay.
1: She was just sick. She had a bunch of health problems.
0: Ah. It's not always a conspiracy war. Some people get sick. Some people even die from coronavirus.
1: Surprisingly, it did not put a strain on her and Mike's marriage. She described him as caring and always taking care of her. Eventually, they were able to figure out that both her thyroid was failing and she had ovarian cysts. She had a hysterectomy and was put on thyroid medication to control her emotions, and everything went back to normal.
0: So she got back to healthy or got healthier
1: She got healthier. I mean, she was on Synthroid, which causes issues, makes you tired and kind of emotionally drained sometimes, but besides that, she was fine.
0: According to her journals, do we have any idea, like, where her marriage is at at this point? Is that something she talked about in her journals, or was it more of a, like, dear God, it's me, Margaret?
1: No, she didn't talk about her period, because she... Had a hysterectomy. She was, I mean, they were both happy. They supposedly had a perfect marriage, and it's possible she didn't write down all of the issues they were having, but it didn't really seem to start until they moved to Mesa County. Jennifer was happy until they moved to Mesa County, Colorado, near Grand Junction. She did not like the desert. She was much happier in South Carolina, but she knew how important the job was for Mike.
0: Is Mike still working for Allied Signal, or is this different jobs in each state?
1: This was amtec dixon dixon which just i don't think they're open anymore so they moved all of their manufacture to mexico but it's like an electronics company
0: they changed the name to Dixoff down there
1: i don't know if it was similar like jet electronics or if it was completely different i saw something that was about like car electronics so i don't know what exactly they did
0: Hmm. manufacturing processes in a lot of those places down there are a little more lax so they might not be able to be working on jets
1: Their relationship hit yet another rough patch, as Jennifer felt like he was at work too often and they weren't communicating effectively. On November 9th, Jennifer wrote that she and Mike had a major fight, but never detailed what it had been about.
0: She was probably upset because Mike always overcomplicated things, setting unrealistic expectations for the production of the marriage design he had in mind, causing serious revisions to be made by a more qualified, lower-paid person. Now what the fuck does that mean? It means he was an engineer.
1: Mike didn't mention any of this in his interview with police. He told them that they'd always had a perfect marriage and hardly ever fought. He had absolutely no idea who would want to hurt Jennifer or Abby and couldn't imagine where they'd been taken, came off genuinely sincere, and struck no suspicion in investigators.
0: Even though it was, like, really obvious that he had to be involved, like we talked about with the car and everything, and... Really obvious doesn't lend to having evidence, and these guys are just basically trained to follow evidentiary clues and not just, oh, my gut says to do this, this is the guy. We work on the law, boy. Yeah, so it's, it's one of those things where maybe they struck him as being more genuine and they didn't have any evidence specifically connecting him to it yet.
1: Usually it's really easy to tell when people are lying in interviews, especially by their body language, but he was, like, genuinely sincere in this interview and seemed like he was distraught they were gone and that they had a really good marriage and a happy life together, so... Is he
0: a sociopath?
1: I don't know. We don't have enough information on him.
0: It's possible, He's something. He's something, something.
1: He could have just rehearsed this for so long that he convinced himself that if he was responsible, he wasn't, or he could have not been responsible. On November 16th, what would have been their 10th anniversary... The Grand Junction Police Department contacted the Mesa County Police Department with information they'd recently gotten. Apparently, a woman who worked for rural legal services had seen who she believed to be Jennifer and Abby in her office. Jennifer had said she was, quote-unquote, tired of being abused and needed a lawyer to help her get divorced. It was never confirmed that it was actually them. Another sighting of Jennifer came from the Blags' neighbors, who had seen someone walking through the neighborhood at 7.15 a.m. on November 13th. My kid said that he left for work around 6 a.m. and called the home multiple times around 6.30, which was his usual routine to make sure that they were awake and Abby was ready for school.
0: Was this guy kind of the controlling type that we know?
1: Depends on who you ask. Her friends said that he was. His family says that he's not.
0: That sounds super typical. It does.
1: The police believed she had been taken from the home not long after Mike had left, and that she had never even woken up or gotten out of bed, which would make it impossible for her to have been walking through the neighborhood at 7.15. Bloodhounds were brought in to try and track again, but still couldn't go further than the garage.
0: Was there a theory at this point that she had made a run for it?
1: No. There's no way. With all that blood, that was hers.
0: Oh. Oh. So I mean, you think that the van was in the garage and he's, they made it to the van, and that's why they can only find yeah, trails to the garage?
1: They definitely left the house in that van. There's no way. If they made it any farther, because that's when scenting dogs can't track anymore, is when you get in a vehicle and you drive away from the scene. If they had walked, they would track them until they got in a car and drove away from wherever they walked to. On the 24th, a woman called the police department saying she'd gotten a call from an anonymous number. Girl on the other end said, Quote, I'm Abby Blagg, and I need help. She also said her mother's name was Jennifer and that she was calling from Mexico. They were never able to track the number and confirm that it was actually her.
0: Okay, so I have a few theories so far that could probably fit in with the police's theories. Uh, I'm thinking that call may have been stage one, but the other theories so far are Abby and Jennifer could have been sex trafficked to Mexico. They were murdered, obviously. And the fourth is a uh, runaway from an abusive relationship. Now, that basically covers all their bases, right? That's pretty fine. much,
1: besides Jennifer committing suicide and taking Abby with her.
0: Ah, uh, okay. That and also. And then what, how'd she get rid of her own body?
1: Mike did it because she was a Christian. You basically won't get into heaven if you committed suicide. So he he didn't want it to look like she had killed herself and her daughter. He wanted to make look like make it look like they were just vanished. Here's Someone had taken them. So
0: God knows anyways.
1: If you love your wife, you want to protect her reputation in the church that she's devoted her whole life to, right? I suppose... I mean, if your whole entire life has revolved around the church and all of your friendships, your families in the church, you don't want them to know you killed yourself. In the search of the home, Mike's computer was seized. On it, they found over 1,000 pornographic images, mostly of men ejaculating on women's faces, and 250 what they called pornography references. Mike had even created collages of photos of women from the sites he visited, most often cumshots.com.
0: I mean, the guy knew what he liked.
1: <laughs> they also found an email draft from Mike to Jennifer, typed and Never Sent at 3.58 on November 13th, right before he left work for the day. In it, he apologized for ruining the day and opportunity to spend his lunch together. He wanted for them to get some Christmas shopping done, but, quote, that obviously went horribly astray. He ended the email with, quote, I'm sorry if I have given the devil a foothold.
0: So is the devil's in his brain making him jerk it to ropey loads covering some poor woman's face?
1: I think it was more like, I'm sorry if I've given the devil a foothold because I murdered you.
0: Oh. Not for the porn. Ah. So he was typing this and she was already dead, probably?
1: If he had killed her, yes.
0: They said it was at 3.58 a.m.? P.M. Is that what he was talking about? The That obviously went horribly astray?
1: Possibly, yes.
0: Dun, dun, dun. Implicating yourself with an email. Not smart.
1: It was becoming obvious to detectives that Mike had a serious pornography addiction which was likely a huge issue to Jennifer who was a christian woman although she never spelled out what their fight had been about on november 9th it was more than likely because she caught him looking at porn
0: so what constitutes an addiction to porn is he just punching the old weasel biscuit too many times a day
1: a legitimate addiction to porn means that it if interferes with your everyday functioning
0: if you don't jerk it or if you're just if watching you it
1: don't or- so if you like can't go out and be social cuz you have to be at home looking at porn if someone is like, hey, come to dinner, and you're like, should I go to dinner? Should I stay home and look at porn?
0: <laughs> no, And I... you
1: choose to stay home and look at porn, it's impeding your, your functioning.
0: Now, is this looking at porn with the end result of masturbating, or is this just looking at porn?
1: Generally, it's a sexual thing. But sometimes they can masturbate multiple
0: times at that point, probably. That's what I'm thinking. Sometimes
1: some people just look at it.
0: If you're skipping meals...
1: They did find um, stains on the rug under his computer.
0: Gross. Why are these dudes <laughs> just shooting loads wherever they like?
1: Mike's excuse was that he and Jennifer actually looked at the porn together. After her hysterectomy, she developed a problem that made sex painful. Because they both wanted to maintain a healthy sex life, they turned to internet porn to give them more ideas of what they could do that didn't involve actual penetration.
0: Do you know what they came up with? Praying.
1: He likes to look at pictures of men ejaculating on women's faces. What usually leads to that? Praying. Mike even went so far to claim that it was Jennifer's idea for him to ejaculate on her face and that she enjoyed viewing the images.
0: I am entirely non-judgmental. You all can feel free to come wherever you please, but his story holds less water when she's not there to agree with him.
1: On December 7th, detectives got an anonymous tip that Mike had been seen multiple times taking part in an escort service at a massage parlor. He would go in two or three times a month between December 2000 and April 2001. It was never confirmed that he actually paid for sexual favors, but the woman said he would ask for a topless massage and a handjob.
0: Those are reasonable things to request while getting a massage. No. Well, you're getting a full body massage. Okay. (laughs) I want you you to massage my penis. (laughs) (laughs) That is part of my full body. No, I'll never understand the appeal of a handjob.
1: So like you're laying on your stomach in a massage chair and you're like, hey, take your titties out. And touch my penis.
0: I have to have my shirt. I'm off not going to make pay me. you
1: any more money, though.
0: I, you'll know, tip them extra. It, it makes me more comfortable since I don't have my shirt on. If you had your shirt off,
1: <laughs> That's not how and massage parlors work. I have you ever to. gotten a professional <laughs> massage? Yes,
0: I have gotten a professional massage. Did she have her titties out? No, but you if I would have felt, I would have felt more comfortable. And if it was a feel free to ask type of thing, I would have asked. I don't see why this is. This should be out. This shouldn't be outlawed. They don't have to touch you with their titties. It no. is
1: not outlawed if you're in certain parts of Nevada.
0: So, so there you well, go. yeah, okay. But I'm just you saying, have
1: to go there to ask a woman to take her titties out.
0: I'm just saying that this is not an unreasonable <laughs> request from somebody. Okay, Rory. <laughs> I think we should move on. Your sister listens to this podcast. <laughs> I'm not vilifying sex workers here. I'm saying what they do is a good service. The problem
1: here is that they're not sex workers. Oh, they're professional massage masseuses. I, I
0: thought, okay. <laughs> and he
1: is. I mean, it. Some of them might be escorts, but he's like walking in Willy Nilly and being was, like, "Take your titties out. Here's twenty dollars. Touch was, my penis." I was
0: thinking massage parlor. Type no, of, it was oh, a air leg- quotes. Air quotes. I'm yeah, pretty was,
1: sure it was a legitimate massage parlor, and like some of them would be like, mm, "Okay, for the extra money, like I'll do it," and some were like. I'm not taking okay. my titties out.
0: So yeah, I was. I, Mike, I guess I was more concerned with that you were like, like, if it's a full service, full body massage, like it's not unreasonable, you know, like when you're getting a handy from a massage person that doesn't take their tits out. I think. Well, no, if you're already at the handy, if you're already at the handy point, then well, that's tits, tits it's, aren't the issue. That's what that's what I figured this place was. I didn't think it was just some like, yeah, random I think woman. I
1: think it was like fifty fifty. I think it was mainly women that would say yes and take the money just to have the extra money. Okay. Not so. actual like prostitutes working in a brothel.
0: Plus okay. I think you asked for the titties before the hand job.
1: Yeah. Some of them he would just That's be like. That's how you like, gauge. Some of them would just take their titties out and not. After learning about this and the porn, an FBI profiler was brought in onto the case. After watching Mike's interview with different news stations, he immediately saw red flags and told detectives he was 99% certain the case was not a random kidnapping.
0: I don't even know what those red flags were.
1: Just I'm... the typical news interview where the dad is really upset that his wife and kid is missing. Like, think of Chris Watts. Okay. Because the bodies had been removed, the crime had been committed by someone comfortable in the home, and Abby was more than likely dead, too.
0: Which would seem to point to the only other person alive in the house, right?
1: Yeah, technically he wasn't in the house, though, according to his story.
0: According to his story.
1: Detectives went back to the minivan to determine how far the bodies may have possibly been taken. Jennifer had last filled it on November 9th, and based on how many miles a gallon it got and Mike's timeline of where it had been driven, they determined there were 91 miles unaccounted for. This meant Jennifer and Abby's bodies could be 45 and a half miles away from the home in any direction. In a city surrounded by the Colorado National Monument, the hope of ever finding their bodies was low.
0: So, I mean, they obviously didn't look like... Too hard because forty-five miles is pretty
1: and super dense forest.
0: Yeah, like I mean, that seems like a and pretty no impossible to track. Yeah, that seems like a pretty impossible task. So I don't think they just went straight at that. So they, they didn't really look.
1: Oh, I thought you meant. I thought you were implying that they just didn't bother to look and they didn't. No, they I mean, didn't look I'm too hard. Tonight.
0: No, I I wasn't. No. Okay,
1: you just said they it, it didn't seem like they looked too hard, and I was like, no, they did. Well,
0: I mean, like. Yeah, I guess th- that is what I said, but I didn't mean it in that way. I okay. Kind of meant like it was almost an impossible task to have someone look through dense forest Pretty 45 much. miles around someone's home. Okay.
1: By January 2002, Mike had moved into a new town home and gotten an insurance payout for the jewelry stolen during the robbery. He took this money and spent over $5,000 on stereo equipment, a flat screen TV, and a new computer.
0: I'm going to go ahead and say that those priorities sound about right. Got to get that batch pad set up, brah. That's exactly what I'm saying.
1: He said it was to distract him.
0: I mean, yeah, all those things are good distractions. I'm going to use my Trump money to distract me from the coronavirus by buying a laptop, so.
1: Rather than buying furniture, he was caught by multiple employees and undercover cops stealing it from his work.
0: Now, where did he work with such nice furniture? Doesn't have to be nice if it's free, Roar. Oh, okay.
1: This allowed detectives to write up a search warrant for Mike's townhome on February 5th and take him in for an interview and a polygraph. After he failed the polygraph, Mike was interviewed for ten and a half hours.
0: Gotta love when the bad guy fails the outdated Santa machine test. Explain. Oh, he knows if you've been naughty or nice.
1: They're also not... I mean, outdated, they're not admissible in court, but you can still use them. It started off just discussing the stolen furniture, which he claimed to have paid for. Then they started in on him, telling him they thought he was lying and that he knew at least where Jennifer and Abby's bodies were.
0: Now, the police, they didn't really know anything, though, right? Like, they didn't really have anything except for the stolen furniture at this point.
1: At this point, they were pretty convinced that he was responsible, but they had no proof. They tried getting him to admit that he had a serious problem with pornography and it was negatively affecting his marriage and caused a fight on November 9th, but he refused. Towards the end of the 10 hours, Mike did begin to look shaken up and began to cry. His story of the events of the day, they went missing, continuously changed and he eventually admitted he was scared of going to jail. He asked detectives to explain the difference between premeditation and first-degree murder and heat of passion, second-degree murder, multiple times
0: suspicious as shit i'd say that's crazy suspicious why would you ask that i would guess he was trying to tailor his story to match whichever plea he was hoping he could swing ah like whatever whichever one is easier to line up with his circumstances then that's the one he's going to try to go for and he already knows it because he knows he's sitting there busted as a motherfucker
1: the interview ended when he said he would want a lawyer if he was going to tell the truth
0: Dumb thing to say. I think that Not goes really. with what I was saying.
1: You should get a lawyer. Like, no matter what, if police want to talk to you for ten and a half hours, get a lawyer. Yeah, but. Even if you're innocent, get a lawyer.
0: <laughs> the thing is, if he was going to tell the truth, I want a lawyer. Like, no, that's. Oh, so a you've dumb been lying, eh hey, boy? No, that's a he, bad thing to say.
1: He wanted a lawyer so he would know what truth to tell, basically. So he wanted someone to guide him in which direction. And what he should be saying to police. Okay. The next day, February 6th, detectives went to Mike's home to collect the stolen furniture. Because an undercover officer was stationed outside his home, they knew he hadn't left. They knocked multiple times and called out, but he did not come to the door. They were able to get a key from the property manager and enter the home on the grounds of a welfare check. Once inside, they noticed a strange odor and then Mike was still not responding to them calling out to him. One officer made his way down the hall, following a path of what appeared to be blood. He followed it to the master bathroom, where he found Mike in the tub, wrist slashed, laying in bloody water. On the edge of the tub was a Bible and photo of Jennifer and Abby. Fortunately, he was still alive and semi-conscious. EMS came and took him to the hospital, where he received seven stitches in each wrist and stayed for a few days before his mother and sister took him home. He had left a suicide note stating that he was not a murderer, but that detectives had made him believe Jennifer and Abby were dead, and he could not live without them.
0: And that's really fucked up, but is this an actual attempt or is this just a cry for help type of thing?
1: No, this is a. I, in my personal opinion, this is a feel bad for me. I didn't do it.
0: Ah, this is trying to get sympathy, right? For mm-hmm. people to think that he really, what it's in his suicide note didn't, is what's true. Yeah, Because basically. they're thinking he's on his way out, so what he wrote down must have been true.
1: He originally tried to do the run the car in the garage thing. That's what the, they smelled when they first walked in. <laughs> so he wanted to die by the carbon monoxide, and then I guess he like gathered his Bible and his picture, and he was like, okay, now what do I do? And he went to the bathroom. Ah. Or he was on his way to the bathroom. I don't know. There's blood in the hallway, so I guess he was walking. He had a couple apprehension cuts, too, where he started and then considered it. Yeah.
0: But that's normal
1: in any suicide attempt. The investigation slowed down until April 16th, when they officially asked for help searching for bodies. So far, they had been using tracking dogs and a small search party of police to look in the wooded areas. Generally, they don't ask for the public's help until the tracking dogs have found nothing, as too many people can throw off scent trails and make them unable to work properly. Since they had found absolutely nothing, the public was allowed to help search, and over 2,200 members eventually joined. During this time, police received a phone call from a concerned coworker of Mike's. She said that he had arrived much earlier to work than he normally did on the 13th, around 5.30 a.m. Mike had told detectives he left for work at 6. She claimed he looked nervous and uneasy all day, constantly checking the loading docks. Another coworker said that they saw him pushing two large cardboard boxes to the dumpster, and when they offered to help, he told them to go away.
0: Why did he wait so long to tell the cops this information?
1: She was concerned she was going to get fired because he was basically like second in command in the whole company. Ah. Uh, she didn't want to say anything negative about him. So once
0: he was already in custody, then she was like, okay, he's now I He's in custody. Oh, being questioned?
1: I mean, he hasn't been charged with anything. They just retrieved the stolen property. He oh. had just been interviewed. Obviously, police knew they had to go straight to the landfill and begin the search for Jennifer and Abby's bodies.
0: I'm going to go ahead and say they should always search the landfill. It's probably the most convenient way for, like, a non-seasoned murderer or someone who hasn't, like, had serial murders. Probably the most convenient way for them to get rid of a body.
1: It's just really difficult to search a landfill. There's, I mean, they can pack it down, so there's probably hundreds yeah. of thousands of pounds of trash you'd there. have to search for if you don't know what dumpster it specifically came from.
0: I guess, I guess. But you can always look at dumpsters that had it for that day, trash pickup. Something that the person would know within their routine.
1: Yeah, but I mean, what if they drive him to the other side of town or another city? I guess you're right. If you're, I mean, if you're in Mesa County, I'm sure there's multiple jurisdictions, basically, you could drive to and then different trash pickup. Mike had continuously told detectives and the public he was never going to leave Grand Junction until Jennifer and Abby were found, however long that took. He broke this promise two days after the search warrant for the landfill was granted and police announced they believed the bodies to be there. He went straight to Warner Robins, Georgia and moved in with his mother.
0: Ah, yes. True mark of a grown-ass man.
1: 23 days after the search began, on June 4th, 2002, a human leg was uncovered, buried near newspapers dated the week of Jennifer and Abby's disappearance, and trash from Mike's work. Because the body was so decomposed, dental records had to be used to confirm that the body was Jennifer Blagg. The search continued for seven more weeks, but Abby's body was never found. It is possible that she was just too small to be uncovered in such a huge area, or that her body was not in the landfill at all. To this day, no one knows what happened to Abby Black.
0: I'm going to go ahead and say this, and it's probably terrible, but she's probably still in that landfill somewhere.
1: More than likely. Unfortunately.
0: Fuck this guy. Fuck the killer, for sure. Yeah, I mean, fuck that guy, too. I just...
1: The autopsy of Jennifer's body revealed she had been shot point-blank in the head through the left eye socket. Fibers in her brain caused the medical examiner to believe that she had been shot with a pillow covering her face, which explains why one of the pillows was missing from the bedroom, as Mike had stated on the 911 call.
0: Which is totally why he brought it up. Oh, uh, someone took the pillow.
1: Well, she asked what was missing, and he said, jewelry, my pillows.
0: But was it one pillow, or was it a bunch of pillows? So he said it was
1: it two, it was only one. Mike was arrested on June 6, 2002, for first-degree murder and held in jo- at Georgia Jail. He originally refused to sign extradition papers, but eventually gave in and was transported back to Mesa County. Bail of $1 million was cut in half on December 24th, and he was released on bond. Pled not guilty on January 8th, 2003, what would have been Jennifer's 36th birthday.
0: What happens if an inmate refuses to sign extradition papers?
1: You have to get the mayor involved. Oh. It just takes longer to get him back to the state.
0: So you still nab him. Just oh yeah, more. you
1: can still get him back. You just have to have more signatures.
0: It's not like they can just be like, no, I'm staying here in jail i never oh, yeah, coming no. back.
1: If you're going to be extradited, you're going to be extradited. The trial got off to a rocky start, with the prosecution and defense both trying to get each other removed, then trying to get the judge taken off the case. Once underway, over 100 witnesses testified, with the prosecution trying to prove Mike's porn addiction was the cause of a fight and Mike murdering Jennifer and Abby, and the defense trying to prove a stranger had been in the home.
0: What kind of DNA evidence did each side have to support their theories? Any?
1: There was, like, a tiny bit of blood on the bed that wasn't Jennifer's, but Mike couldn't be ruled out.
0: So it was probably him, or it wasn't It wasn't him, or?
1: I mean, there's there's no way to know if we don't have a DNA whose blood it was, but they said he couldn't be ruled out. There's some prints and some boot prints that couldn't be technically matched to him, but it's possible they got smudged, and one of them was a cop who just didn't want to come forward and say, I
0: Those got my, my booties,
1: boots. yeah. <laughs> On April 15th, 2004, after only 10 hours of deliberation, Michael Flagg was found guilty of first-degree murder, abuse of a corpse, theft for the items stolen from his employer, and insurance fraud. After 10 years in prison, a judge reversed and remanded a retrial as a juror had lied on her questionnaire. He once again was found guilty on April 5th, 2018, and sentenced to life without possibility of parole.
0: Now, is that where we're at right now?
1: hmm Yeah, he's still in prison.
0: Okay, and do we think he actually did it? I mean, because in my opinion, most of the evidence actually kind of does point to him, but there could always be a freak occurrence where a random murderer walked in the street and killed them both, so... And And took their bodies in the car and brought it back? Yeah, I mean, it'd be a pretty out-there situation, but it's possible... I liked your hijacking theory better, actually. I mean, that's the theory I have. Oh, same theory. Yeah, it's the same theory. What do you think, Katie?
1: I think that, I mean, the circumstantial evidence of there being only two sets of keys and leaving the house to them being in a dumpster that was at his work is too much to basically not prove that he did it or not prove he didn't do it but i think it's possible that she could have killed herself and killed abby and he covered it up
0: what do you think jay i think it is a rocky situation good and on that note uh i think we'll end it for michael black does that sound right kitty As always, thank you for listening, guys. We do appreciate it. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to send us an email at fourcornerscrimecast at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R cornerscrimecast at gmail.com.
1: You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fourcornerscrimecast and on Instagram at fourcornerscrimecast and on Twitter at fourcornerscrime with the number four.
0: And don't forget to give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and check out our new website, fourcornerscrimecast.com. That's F-O-U-R, cornerscrimecast.com. Head over there for a full episode list to send us ideas for an episode or to get your free sticker from our merch store. Just enter the code Bango at checkout, and we'll ship out your sticker 100% free. So, yeah, just don't skip meals to watch porn this week, guys.
1: If you have a serious addiction, like, actually get help. It's not a joke.
0: It's not a joke, but go see a, meals for it.
1: Go see a psychiatrist or even your PCP.
0: Yeah. Tell me you. What's a PCP? Primary care physician. Ah, uh, All right, guys. Well, I guess we'll talk to you next week. See ya. All you motherfuckers. Mike Jones. Who? Mike Jones. 281-330-8004. The guy I got a hit up on the low. Dude's about to blow. You know, back then didn't want me now I'm hot they all want me <laughs>